From Palestine to Ferguson, from Oak Forest to Sugarland, from Third Ward to Galveston. Hi, welcome once again to Can We Chat. The squad has gathered again. I'm Gloria, Yolanda, Natalie, and I'm Debbie. We hope you enjoyed our last episode on mentoring, and this time um, we've gathered to discuss allies, advocates, and activists. We want to talk about how we can play each role in our various spheres of influence across our lives, with our with our friends and family, in our communities, workplaces, and neighborhoods. We've all heard each of these terms, and, and perhaps you feel you've been an ally or, or advocated for a cause or served as an activist in support of an issue you care about. We want to start by defining each of the terms and then, and then discuss why each is important as we strive to make the world a better place, more equitable and just. Let's talk uh, first about the term ally. Yolanda, what does being an ally mean? Well, I looked it up in Webster, right? And I kind of like this this definition, the one that says that one that is associated with another as a helper, a person or a group that provides assistance and supports in an ongoing effort, activity, or even a struggle. The verb of it is, is you basically you're doing this to unite or form a connection or a relationship between. You're trying to form or enter into an alliance. You're looking out for each other. So an ally is someone that is looking out for you. They've used it specifically of a person who is not necessarily a member of someone that needs an ally. It could be someone that's marginalized or mistreated. Those are the worst conditions. But an ally can just be a good guy that's working with you on the job. Thank you. I like that, looking out for one another. It's nice. Okay, Gloria, what about the term advocate? Well, like Yolanda, I looked up and found several definitions. And I'm going to give some examples of of those that I found. First one I liked was the definition of an advocate is someone who fights for something or someone, especially someone who fights for the rights of others. I also like the one that said an advocate is one that argues for the cause a supporter or defender gives kind of different aspects of what that person might do. And an example they gave was an advocate of civil rights. Then there was another one that said, anyone who argues the case of another, an intercessor. And then lastly, I, I liked one that said, to speak, plead, or argue in favor of. For example, an advocate for criminal justice system. I'd like to expand on that one just a little bit before we get into our personal experiences. So the criminal justice system, an example of an advocate that argues in favor of something could be a case manager who will advocate for her client, or their client, rather, by helping them to access services such as food, housing, and medical care. Advocates also work with government academic researchers and pharmaceutical companies. You know, we may have seen a story recently about advances in the uh, medical industry for ALS. So often we see the spouses or family members of those people advocating for something that helps change that medical situation. So another example of an advocate is a lawyer who specializes in child protection or who speaks for the abuse in uh, criminal court, in, in the 
children in court. Yeah, Gloria, as you mentioned that, I I thought about um, once when I was in the hospital, I actually had a patient advocate that came in, and that was their actual job to come in and talk to me about my pain and medication and that kind of thing. So that's that was a good example you brought up. Thank you. I'm glad you said that because you often hear people say, if you have a family member that's in the hospital or if you're in the hospital, you should have a family member there who is your advocate, who asks the right questions of the doctors, who understand what they're doing or what, what they're prescribing, what procedures, uh, because you often... When you're in the hospital, you're not often able to think of those questions. And so having someone close to you serves a very valuable purpose. I've also got a, an example of what a good advocate is. I'll just give those. Someone who knows how to persevere and not give in just because it's inappropriate time or the person may be a lot higher up than you and you feel like you're um, not able to challenge authority. Also, an, an honorable advocate is someone who's not afraid to stick their neck out or to be a lone wolf. What does not constitute a good advocate is someone who, someone who or some entity that takes credit for all the work that's done for their own personal gain or for funding purposes. And it's also okay to disagree, but be critical or to be critical, but come to the table with solutions. So those are some of the things that I've found. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Gloria. Uh, that, that was great. So now we'll turn to Natalie uh, to talk a little bit about What's an activist? Well, uh, I think a, I think an activist is someone who really works to bring about uh, political or social change. So um, when you look at the word activist, there is the word activity. You know, there's activity there. So what are the activities that the person does? And I looked up a list of um, activists, and there's a whole slew of activists. If you want to just Google that. There's a list of abolitionists. There's a list of animal rights activists. There's a list of anti-war activists. There's a list of a whole slew of activities, environmental activists, people that are really working to bring about social and political change. So uh, really trying to make a difference, going to meet with their congressional people. I mean, it doesn't have to just be that. But I do think there are just a lot of really amazing examples of activists in our history. Uh, and it doesn't mean you have to be uh, famous to be an activist. Uh, you can be an activist in your community and, and no one else knows you, and that's fine. But the point is you're, you're trying to bring some political and social change. All right, great. So gone into the definitions here and, and talked a little bit about about what is an ally, what is an advocate, what what is an activist. Let's talk a little bit now, um, tapping into our experiences and, and why do we need allies, advocates, and activists across across the spectrum of our lives? We've 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 kind of talked about what they are, but but why are they important? Well, I, you know, I think I think it's important to have all three, and you don't necessarily need to be all three. You can be an ally, an advocate, or an activist in any situation that you may be in, um, whether or not, you know, it, it depends a lot on your, perhaps in the organization, if you're a person of power, you may have the ability to bring about change. So you're going to be more of an activist, perhaps. Or if you're in a situation where you may not have that much um, power, maybe you're an ally, you're a support, as Yolanda was saying, a support to another. So I think that they're all needed, and we can be all three. 
Um, it just depends on the circumstance. So I, I think I'm reiterating what I said in the definition, but at some point we all could use a little assistance or affirmation that shows support. And depending, like you said, on the circumstances, right, it's maybe just an ally that's going to help you step through the job relationship or maybe even with the family, right? Um, but it's, and maybe it's more an and than it is a but. I think it's an and that you need some reassurance that will provide you the clarity. Giving someone else to speak up for you because you were unable to articulate so others hear you or getting an advocate that's recognizing that you're not getting your fair shake in a meeting so they're going to pull to make sure you're being heard or an activist that says there's really something wrong. And it's funny, even on the activist, we think very political when we think activist, right? Because most of the time, the activist is looking at what needs to happen. And so they might think outside the normal organizational thinking. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with bringing a new way of doing business to light? You know, I'm so glad you said that because you made me think of something that uh, I lived with. I live with a person who is both an advocate and an activist. And he often tells stories about when his children were in, in uh, grade school and things weren't being done that he felt was proper for his children. So he would go to the principal and first tell him what he expected. So he was advocating for his children. And when that didn't happen, he became an activist to make sure that that got changed. So not only did that change benefit his children, but it also benefited other children. And one other one, one other thing I want to say on ally, sometimes you don't know that you were an ally to someone until they tell you in later years that because you did X, Y, or Z, you help them achieve some specific objective. And for me personally, Yolanda was my ally because I was new to the federal government. And for those of you who never worked for the government, a government organization, the rules and the, the rules are different. The procedures are different. I often use Yolanda as a resource to say, how am I supposed to do this? Or where do I look to find this? And also there were a number of people in the human resources organization that I would go to, uh, Debbie being one of them of them to say, how do I do this so that I I don't get in trouble? So I hadn't really thought about that until just the discussion. Yeah, and and I think when um, Yolanda gave the definition of an ally as looking out for one another, uh, I had a similar situation, Gloria, when I first became a director. uh, I did not know really kind of simple things as far as being at the director level and some of the norms and unspoken um, kind of things that needed to happen, you know, as simple as where to sit in a meeting. I mean, that it sounds like a silly thing for probably some of the listeners, but there's there's protocol, there's um, expectations when you walk into a director meeting. And so I had uh, a previous um, CFO, a chief financial officer, who um, I don't know if he realized that he was being an ally for me. But somehow he did reach out to me and help me and, and tell me, okay, this is how these meetings work and this is what you're supposed to do. And this is when you're supposed to say something. I mean, that's another thing, knowing when to speak and when to listen. 
Um, those things need to be they need to be understood in any kind of organizational culture. You know, you uh, you and you guys are making me also think about the fact that can a company, for example, be a strong company by actually promoting the allies within this organization, promoting the advocates, making sure there's someone out there that's going to tell them when they're not looking and treating their employees correct. Can you create that kind of environment? And and the reason I say that is is because when I was in industry, I felt like I had allies. I felt I, I could have a meeting or be in a meeting and I knew that Bert or George or or Melba or someone in there was going to either pull me to the side, right, and say, hey, I know what you were trying to say, but this is what they heard. At the same time, they're educating you. They're giving you a feel of vision that you otherwise would not have seen if you've been if you kept everything to yourself. And having those allies and advocates out there, that being part of your culture only strengthens your organization because you're now listening where you weren't listening before. So I I really do think, Debbie, that it is that we need allies and advocates and activists. As you guys have been speaking, this is is all directly applicable to the workplace, and this is is great. And I think think also expanding beyond that, when we think about, as we've been sitting here talking, I, the thoughts gone through my mind. Okay, being an ally is something you do for another. You can also advocate for another and be an activist for another, but you can also be an advocate for yourself and take action for causes that are important to you or important to um, you know your your family, your um, your group, and, and whatever that is. I think of you know people. Uh, Natalie mentioned, um, there's, you know, you Google active activists and you see, you see a long line. Um, workers' rights is one place too, right? So I think of someone like a, and this goes way back, but, but Cesar Chavez, who advocated mm-hmm. for migrant farm workers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's, there's just this, there's just this beauty across, I think, all those terms in that allies are people that are, are helping others. Advocates and activists can be helping others, but they can also be taking very positive action for, you know, change um, to, to, to help themselves and people um, that are in similar situations. So anyway, there, the, these terms, you know, there, there is something to ponder here, right? There, there is a, it's, it's a good thing to think through those differences and then, and then how you can engage uh, across that across that spectrum. Um, so, so, so Debbie, real quick, when you just to further give another example, um, you know, an example of allyship. For example, I remember that there were these little note cards or these little cards that, uh, like, I think it was like um, a rainbow. Put it on a po- on a post-it, and you could put it right outside your door. And basically say, this is a safe place. This is a safe place to talk for anybody in the LGBTQ community that needed a safe place to talk about something that happened or something that they're having trouble with or whatever. And you can designate yourself as an ally so that people know, hey, I can reach out to so-and-so. 
Um, so, you know, it's not just about necessarily, I don't know, your friends or people that you work with, but, you know, actually doing something like Yolanda was saying as an organization to promote uh, allyship or promote um, advocacy. Right. Designating safe spaces. And then no, no word has to be spoken. You can just walk by somebody's office or cubicle and you see safe space. So those are all great. Those are all great examples. Um Yolanda, you, you brought up something uh, about being in, in a room and, and having an ally. Let's talk a little bit about being the only in a room. So we've, on this podcast prior and, 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 and this group, our group, our squad here, we've had many conversations over the years about what it means to be an insider versus an outsider and how that can play out in people's lives and, and careers. Um, but let, let's let's kind of get into some, a few specific experiences a, around that. So being the only in the room, is there a circumstance that you'd like to, to share and, and talk a little bit about how, how how you felt? So if you don't mind me going back quite a few years, <laughs> I remember being a freshman in college, 300 students in the chemistry class, you look around and I was the only African American there. And it's funny, um, it's like having advantages and disadvantages, right? The teacher knew my name. 300 students and the teacher knew my name. The teacher could walk up and say my name. And I hadn't learned his yet. And even in industry, as long as you perform well, you don't let the thought of being the only one hold you back. It is amazing that the years of college actually prepared me to be in situations that I'm the only one in the room. And it prepared me for it not to be a determination of whether I succeeded or not. It was an understanding in my mind that there were other factors like how my colleagues think of minorities or the competition of being successful within a company or whether you have any allies or you feel you're being undermined. It wasn't being the only one in the room. It was whatever was happening in the room. Um, like I said before, uh, and I will give credit to my first job, Bert was there for me. He was my immediate supervisor. I felt like he was my allies. I felt like he pulled me to the side to mentor me. I developed a relationship with George, David, Sam, Melba, right? Uh, Mel and I became so close that people actually mixed up our names. And I want you to picture Melba. She's white and blonde. But I could count on them. I could count on them to be frank. So being the only one in the room, I started learning there are other factors that make it more difficult. It's not being the only one in the room. It's the culture in which you're in there. And trust me, as I moved up in organizations, I could see the differences in the culture. And it's, I will say I was blessed because when you move up, you know there are good people in the world. So you don't let any bad situation taint you into thinking things are wrong. But it will open your eye to some unexpected thinking. Like after a while, you start wondering, why am I the only one in the room? I will tell you those allies I found were exceptional. But I will say that... I could see things that didn't make sense. I mean, I've been part of an organization that pulled the data to see who was getting promoted and how long people were in 
positions. And it became apparent that African males were in positions longer than other races. And so you start asking yourself, can I think about why aren't we looking more at the data to make sure that we're being fair? And so then that gets back into wanting to be the allies, wanting to see something that doesn't look like it's fair to everybody, and you want to become the advocate, and you want to become the activist. So I know that was a long conversation <laughs> on my part, but being the only one in the room, to me, isn't the issue. It's the culture in which you're the only one in the room and what's happening. So I remember being um, the only one in the room as well. I have an example. Uh, it was a smaller room. It wasn't 300 people, but I was in a smaller room where, um, again, when I first became a director and um, there'd be a morning meeting with uh, probably five or six directors with our center director. And um, I was the only woman. And uh, I remember the meeting was at 7.30 in the morning, every morning. And this is when uh, my husband and I had three small kids. And so every morning was a challenge to make sure that we packed all the diapers, packed all the bottles, packed, you know, everything was good for, for the for daycare. Take them, make sure they were safe and everything was going well. We had a good morning and then rush and get into that, to that meeting by 7.30. And I would sit down at that meeting at 7.30 and bless their hearts. They had, they had no clue, of course, nor should they, what I went through to get there. But, you know, there'd be conversations about, you know, golf and where'd you get that tie? And, you know, what did you have for dinner? And, you know, just some of these conversations. And I, I was in my mind, I wasn't really present yet because I kept going through my mind a list of things to make sure I didn't forget anything for, for my kids, obviously. And so finally, uh, after six months of this and, and obviously having, you know, good meetings, we did get down to business, of course, after five minutes or so of chit chat. After about six months of this, these kind of meetings, I went to our boss. All of us work for this, um, this boss, three star general, whom I know we all love. Uh, he's a wonderful leader. And, uh, I asked if he could move the meeting to eight o'clock and I explained why. And his answer was, Oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me sooner? I would have gladly moved the meeting. But the point is, is that I could not advocate for myself until I proved that I was actually contributing. Because it could have been very, very easy if I had gone early on to say, hey, this meeting is very difficult for me to get to because of my three kids, blah, blah, blah. It would have been very easy for him to say, oh, well, don't worry, you, you, you really don't have to come. But the point is I didn't want to be excluded. I wanted to be included because I felt like I was adding something. But that's an example of advocating for yourself, but waiting until you're at a point where you can prove your, your worth. Well, Yolanda, you mentioned something that triggered a couple of examples from my past, um, as well as Natalie's comments. So early on in my career, I wasn't necessarily the only person in the room. But one thing that the corporation that I worked for really was um, very dedica dedicated to was to train the people, the employees that they hired. And during that time, they really were uh, interested in hiring more minorities. So it was never an uncomfortable position of being the only person in the room. But as I spent more time in that company, I did look at the corporate publication and noticed that there were not minorities of uh, in the senior positions, technical positions, because it was a technical organization. 
represented in that publication. And so another positive about this corporation is they encouraged employees to speak up. So I wrote them a letter and said, I would like to understand why there are not more minorities represented in the uh, in this publication. And they said, well, we have a secretary there. So I wrote back and said that was not my point. <laughs> my point was there should be more representation, since this is a technical organization of engineers and scientists, to see more of the minorities represented in the publication. Another example, sometimes companies will say, well, we don't have, we don't have more minority employees because they don't apply. So that's a perfect example of asking the question, where are you looking? What sources are you looking for? So you're both an ally and an advocate in that situation. I guess all of us have learned over the years not to just take an answer given to us as the answer that we are going to accept. It may be an answer that provokes more questions. So this has been a good conversation to provoke some memories that I had not had in a while. So thank you, Debbie. That's great. So I'll just say I I haven't, with the exception probably of the status, my status as a parent, as as Natalie mentioned, I really haven't experienced um, being the only in the room with respect to race, with respect to a a lot of aspects of my life. But I have experienced having a different opinion than, than the rest of the people in the room. And that is also a very difficult place to be. And when you're, when you're in that position, it is extremely important to have allies. If not to come around to perhaps your way of thinking, uh, but just to say, listen, I think, I think Debbie has a point that, that it's worth us hearing her out on. And I have then the opportunity. I've, I've had that happen, right? Where maybe it didn't, it didn't go the way I thought it should go or people didn't, didn't necessarily agree with, with the thought process or the, or the, um, recommendation I was making, but it was very important to at least have the opportunity to be heard. And so I think that that's a, that's a really, um, important way for us to look at the onlys in the room as well. Um, we, we, we are all aware of, um, highly, you know, complex decision-making meetings where very significant failures have occurred, right? Because minority opinions have not been expressed and not been heard and not been at least explored. And so I think that's an important thing for us to think about too, uh, in, 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 you know, in thinking about being the only in the room. Debbie, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's a good example for everyone and especially our listeners to, when they are in those situations, to recognize that somebody may have a different opinion and then there's your perfect opportunity to be an ally or an advocate to say, let's hear them out. And I think of all the examples we've heard uh, around innovation, you know, or lack thereof in certain companies, I think of Kodak, um, they knew about digital, uh, digital film or whatever, digital pictures years and years and years before, right? But, um, they weren't willing to listen to say, to hear that sole person or a small group of people that was saying this was the wave of the future. And, uh, they wanted to stick with, um, actual film. 
So, you know, there's countless examples of organizations that have been left behind because they aren't willing to, and it gets back to Yolanda, the culture, to say, let's hear out people in the room because you could miss some really innovative ideas. I think people also need to, and organizations need to think of, what's the risk in listening? What's going to happen? We all learn something new we weren't thinking of before? Or the a person actually gets more data so that they can see where you're coming from? You're going to learn. You're going to learn by listening more. So there's no risk. We don't need people in total compliance to go along with the same song. Sometimes we need a little harmony. It doesn't hurt. So good, good job bringing that one up, Debbie. I hadn't thought about that before, uh, Yolanda, a risk factor. You know, maybe the risk factor is someone else will get the glory or my idea was one that I was going to, was going to move me to the top. But that's a very important part of um, maybe why some people don't speak up. And, and the, you brought up risk again, Gloria, that's the risk of not speaking up goes back to, to, to Natalie's point about innovation, right? What, what innovative ideas, what new ways of doing business, what, what, you know, what great thing that could change, uh, you know, the, 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 the approach to a, um, a long-term problem that we, that we never get because that's, we're not willing to take that risk. So good. That's a really good point. We've talked a little bit about the experience of having allies support. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about being allies. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add with, with, with respect to, to having an ally support or being an ally? I thought about one more example that um, we'll see how it plays out. One of the issues is, is that you have a bad day as an engineer, right? And particularly this one interesting day, we won't call it super bad or anything, where my team actually missed a product. They let a bad product get to a customer. Now, we can overanalyze and who's the root cause of what's wrong. Or, in this particular case, you can work for this three-star marine general and just walk in and say, we got a problem. And you're not in there to say, to point fingers. You're in there to advocate for the company on what were the issues that needed to be addressed and what's the strategy to go forward to fix the problem so we never have it again. Treating it totally as a lessons learned activity. I will tell you that generals come in there, they're out to solve problems. So they don't, they need to understand the problem. They want to understand what needs to be fixed. But they're moving on. They're looking forward. And it's interesting in this particular case, the customer, because it opened that mistake, even though you're a contractor, you never wanted that mistake to happen. Open up where the vulnerabilities were. And when you were analyzing it, everyone, everyone took it in the right stride. So I advocated in my mind for the company. I didn't say Joe Blow did this wrong and Michael did this. I said, here's how the process worked and here's what we can do. And I think that people were very responsive to just hearing from a non 
pointing finger attitude, and then everyone becomes your allies. There were other allies that spoke up, and there were other advocates that came to describe the situation, to help people understand how to do improvement, and even our customer became our biggest advocates. So I wanted to also just add to that a little bit on the ally, or going back to your question, Debbie, you know, you don't, I guess one thing to keep in mind is you don't really have to be an expert in in an area. You know, an ally, I think, kind of starts with just being willing to listen. And, you know, you can say things like, you know, help me understand, uh, or I don't, I don't really have experience here, but I'm willing to learn, kind of what Yolanda was saying earlier about learning. You know, if you want a sounding board, you know, this is a safe place. Uh, you could even do like, let's say somebody's going to apply for a job. You can say, hey, I'll be willing to do a mock interview with you. I'll ask you questions. I mean, that's the form of allyship. So you don't have to be an expert, but you can, I think it does sound, start with basic listening and open-mindedness to try to understand perspectives. You know, one of the things that I did kind of, dovetailing to what you, your thought, Natalie, is early on uh, going to uh, minority engineering groups or colleges and universities of uh, HBCUs and giving those students some insight into what the corporate world is like and what the culture is like and what they're going to expect. And I, I know I would often say is, you know, if you don't think you can live with these things, then this may not be the place for you. Let's talk a little bit about situations where perhaps we've advocated for others. Well, there was a situation that came to mind as I was thinking about preparing for today. And in one of my assignments, I was asked to meet with a group of secretaries that felt that they were being treated unfairly by their uh, technical managers. And so after interviewing them and understanding what their situation was, I recommended an organizational change to uh, my management and as a result, the secretaries, and this was years and years ago, were uh, centralized. So they would support more than one manager in one, more than one organization. And their manager was someone who, was, who would be selected from the secretarial ranks who knew the job and promoted into that area. So that resulted in an organizational change. That was the situation. I'm, I'm sure it's not done that way any, anymore. But they felt they didn't have a voice they felt that no one was listening to their their concerns. So to have someone come in and uh, understand the picture, paint it to upper, upper management and have upper management listen and make that change was a positive, positive impact. And one other thing that Yolanda said, by not making someone, if someone makes a mistake, not making them a scapegoat, you hear that from some effective sports coaches where they say if somebody missed a pass or did something, they don't take them out of the game. They give them encouraging words, and they are able to go on and be successful. So an ally in that situation, you hear that a lot in the sports world and coaching. I like what you said, Gloria, about um, advocacy, you know, you um, having access to the leaders, um, you had your ability to go and talk to those, you know, leaders that perhaps they were not able to reach or may not be willing to listen to. So it's that speaking on behalf of someone else, uh, like you mentioned earlier at the very beginning about patient advocacy or, you know, something in the, some, in the organization or your spouse advocating for 
uh, change in the school system because people were not being treated, you know, fairly or whatever. So I think, I think those are all really good examples of it's, it's really going, take yourself out of the situation and going and actually doing something and not just in the moment, but actually going out and doing, speaking on someone's behalf, right? So ally and advocate, I've, I've got, I've got an example where, and, and this happened actually both in a professional setting um, for, for, you know, for my job. And then also in a volunteer setting where, where I was on a, um, I was, was on like an advisory uh, group to a, a charity. And these two things have, uh, they occurred several years apart, but, but they both really uh, were profound in, in my um, kind of thinking around, you know, w- what it means to, to learn and be open to others' experiences and then, and then advocating for them. And so it was really around the um, thought and the concept of what's called microaggressions or micro inequities. And this goes back probably 25 years or more. I had an employee come to me and, and go through a series of things that um, her supervisor had, had done. And each one of them sounded like um, things that were um, were not in and of themselves that detrimental. But as she talked about them and the impact that they had on her, and 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 in both cases, it, it was a woman that that came and complained, um, or came and 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 spoke about what they were they were facing. Um, in in one case, there was a difference of race, in another case, there was a difference of gender. And, um, but the impact that it had on the employees in both cases was profound. It negatively impacted their ability to do their job. Although the, the, the slights, if you will, were just that. They were slight. And I had, I had a real struggle understanding why these seemingly small things, like not saying hello perhaps to someone in a hallway or, uh, another one was was uh, reminding someone to lock up a file cabinet at the end of the of the night were seen as you know as as very very negative and and actually lacked professionalism and, and respecting a person's professionalism. They go they went beyond those examples, but those are just a couple of the examples. There, there were a series of examples, but when I began to understand what microaggressions and micro inequities were and how they impacted people's ability to perform a light bulb went off. And so it, it, it enabled me to start advocating for those kinds of slights that happen in the workplace and see them and then, and then point them out and, 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 and help the people who were experiencing the, you know, the negative impact on their ability to perform and their productivity. So that was, that's an example. That's just an example that came to mind of, of moving kind of from listening to someone and being able to advocate for them. Because it is a it, micro inequities are a hard thing to to grasp. So was it the manager that was not saying hello, or the employee that was not saying hello? It was the manager who wasn't saying hello, okay. and the employee took that as a as a slight and and uh, as, as a lack of of respect. There were those were two examples, and that's what I'm talking about. They seem very slight, but but there was a series of them um, that that basically it's that that last straw that we hear about, right? If you face what you think are slights every day, then they add up over time and impact ability, the, the person's ability to to perform. Well, it's kind of like, I think it reminds me of being in a room and you see perhaps where 
some people may say something and no one looks at them or then um, they ignore it. And then the next person says something and they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think and it's that's the same that's, thing. That's it's the, the same thing. Yeah, right? it's the same thing. That, I think that's happened probably to all of us. It's that whole thing. It, those are microaggressions, but the cumulative effect is, is very big. So um, is there a difference between being an advocate and an activist? Well, we talked earlier about the fact that uh, an activist actually there's some activity associated with that. And I recently saw a perfect example of an advocate who became an activist. And she's a professional, uh, she was a professional basketball player, Maya Moore. And there's a documentary about her work where she decided to postpone her, um, her, um, basketball career in order to become an activist for this young man who had been convicted and there was documentation, evidence rather, that he was innocent. So it took her years to do it, but she was finally able to get him released. Uh, and she was, uh, she'd been honored for it. And they eventually got married. But, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative is another example of an advocacy becoming an activism. And they have those all over. The Equal Justice Initiative uh, organizations exist in multiple states, even though initially it was started by uh, Brian Stevenson. But it's taking, uh, you know, taking the advocacy point to the next step of becoming an activist, doing something to get something a right, a wrong corrected, or changing uh, a policy, or advocating for people who are underserved or treated poorly. The whole list, I think, is uh, what I see as a difference. It, it's, I see it more as an evolution as opposed to a difference from an advocate to an act, activist. You don't have to be an activist if you're an act, advocate, but it can certainly move on to the next step. And I think one of the things that we are going to talk about in a future podcast is prison reform and um, equal justice in the prison system. I think you'll see from that discussion where people uh, started out advocating for either a family member or because they believed in the cause, just like you were saying, Natalie, whether it, it was uh, uh, environmental injustice, and they took that to what do I need to do? How do I interact with the government or the entity to get that changed? So they kind of um, morphed from advocate to, to activist. You know, activism um, tends to have an unfavorable look because people think they're actually going against the system. When you look for understanding the cause, why they're fighting for that system and not how they're fighting for it, you suddenly realize maybe that system needs to be addressed or that situation needs to be addressed. So I think we, we tend to listen a little bit maybe to the news a lot to form our opinion when we think of advocacies and activists and we give a positive look on the person that's an advocate right but I think even the activist is trying to find the win-win they're just offering solutions to a problem and they're trying to share their knowledge just like the advocacy and understanding so I hope our listeners will have a more favorable thought process when they hear these words and I yeah. think they're asking questions, Yolanda, of the people that have the power to change it, which may make some other people uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think about women's suffrage. Where would we be without activists? 
we'd have to have activism to change the law and the processes, right? Um, and I, I guess I would like to challenge our listeners to um, this next week, I'd like to challenge our listeners to look up two or three activists that they do not know about. Just whatever topic, like we said earlier, uh, abolition, abolitionist, uh, environmentalist, you know, whatever the topic may be, and find people and read about them. They're quite amazing people, actually. Oh, that's great. Natalie, thank you. Because that gets us to actions, right? So what are actions that we can take? I think I think in many cases, things kind of start with being an ally, right? They, they, they start with understanding. Because you've got you to understand... Uh, and have some knowledge before you can really move to advocacy or, or, um, or, or action. So being, being an ally, uh, let, let's talk about what it, what, what are ways that we can become better allies? I think listening. I think really working to understand, to value the different perspectives. And as long as you're in that learning mode, it's like you, I, I love the example you gave where you didn't understand the microaggression that was happening. But as soon as you really understood it, you understood why a person felt the way they did and how they were adding up each one of those incidents to tell them they were not in a safe place. You learned. You were willing to truly listen and then truly learn so that you could apply and you could become. And I think that that example is who we need to be when we're going to be allies and advocates. I totally agree. If the conversation's only going one way, it's not going to have a productive end. And listening builds trust. And, and it's about, because in a trusting relationship, real information can be shared. Things that create that vulnerability and, and really heighten understanding, that's what happens when you listen. The trust develops and then good things can flow from that. But I think another thing that's important in that realm is is when when you see, as, as far as being an ally, when you're when you see something going on, whether it's in the context of the workplace and you're in a meeting, whether it's in the context of, of your community, where you see someone being you know fa- facing facing discrimination, facing harassment, don't be a bystander. Right? There are things that you can do in that moment to to step in and either um, help to defuse the situation, um, help to distract, right? <clears throat> There's a number of steps that we can take. So being ready not to be a bystander. And that does take that does take forethought, right? You've got to you gotta think about what might I do if I am faced with the opportunity to, to help another but surprised by it. Being an ally doesn't mean that something goes wrong and you're going to step into it. Because the truth of the matter is, if you haven't thought about what actions you're going to take and you just spontaneously, sometimes you can make the situation worse, not better, right? So being an ally really does require a little fault. Because if you see something is wrong going on, if you're uncomfortable, ask questions. I call them questions of clarification. Am I understanding of what's going on here? Is there something we can do differently? Why are we at this point? What has happened that makes us all so angry? Or what risk are we taking? What are our fears? I think 
being able to be in those situations, to really be an ally and advocate. These are the questions you want to ask yourself. But maybe sometimes we put them out there for everyone else to hear too. We've got to, we've got to enter into those, those difficult conversations and also be, um, you know, be responsive to when someone is ready to have that conversation and is not ready to have that conversation. That's as, as a good listener and someone seeking to build trust, that's an important part of it uh, as well. Just one quick thing. I think also when this whole conversation, I think it's important to know your boundaries, know the boundaries in the situation that you're in, because somebody may really just want an ally. They don't really want you to do anything other than to listen and be a sounding board or perhaps help them navigate those waters. But I think it's important if you want to go into the next level, like Lori was saying, you know, the advocacy is another, a little more action. You're going to go speak on someone's behalf. You need to ask permission. You know, I, I am, I will, I would be willing to go speak to your boss. Is that okay with you? Or am I, you know, I'd be willing to go talk to whomever, but you need to ask permission because you could easily step on someone's toes and now you've broken the trust. Back to your point, Debbie, about trust. That's a very good point. It's this, this is, these are difficult situations to navigate. Very, very difficult. In some cases, you know, you're, if you're, if you're sponsoring someone, um, you're, you're advocating for them kind of on a professional basis, but where you've entered into a trusting relationship and you've gained information based upon, you know, based upon a confidence, then, then that's, that's an important, that's just an important thing to, to remember as you, as you figure out how you can advocate or not what's appropriate. So we've had a, we've had a great conversation today on allies and advocates and activists. So I really appreciate each one of, of your perspectives and, and uh, we hope to our listeners that, uh, that you'll think about how you can, how you can be an ally, how you can advocate and, and take action where you see a need. So thank you so much for listening. This podcast is edited by Richard Hanna. And the music is by Free Radical. Join us next time. You can write us at canwechatpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 